you are white you are black you are you are gay you are heterosexual you are rich you are poor you are republican you are a democrat and once they put one of those labels on you they they think they know how you're going to think about everything they think they can tell you what your answer to questions are going to be they think they can tell you what your vote on something's going to be they think they can tell you everything about you because of this one label they put on you This study references the book Nehemiah, I Am, Taking Authority Over Identity by Mike Hilson. Get your own copy of the book today on Amazon. Well, hey, everybody. I want to welcome you to our study on the book of Nehemiah. The book of Nehemiah is in the Old Testament. It's about halfway through if, you go, if you're looking for it. So um, you can find it there, and it is a story of a man who rebuilds the walls around Jerusalem. Now, I, I did a Bible study, uh, a book, a Bible study book on this uh, some years ago, and it's called Nehemiah, I Am Taking Authority Over Identity. See, one of the things that has to happen with Nehemiah is if I give you a little bit of background, Jerusalem has been overtaken by foreign kings. And and when the last king overtook the city and then other tribes, other, other uh, competitive groups began to invade the city after it collapsed, the walls around the city were torn down. Now, this is important because in an ancient society, if the walls around your city were torn down, your city was subject to being invaded, to being robbed. Your city was broken. It was literally... It was literally a statement to the rest of the world that your your city was a failure. You had failed to take care of every and uh, of your city, and no longer could it defend itself. And so it was a great deal of dis, uh, of dishonor and shame that was on the people of Jerusalem because the walls were down. Now, not only that. But the king that had overtaken the city and torn the walls down the first time had taken many of the best and brightest of the Israelites into captivity. And so as as they are in captivity at that point, you have all these different kings and the succession of different kings, different ways, either succession from father to son or then an overthrow. And we get to Nehemiah who serves the most recent of these kings. Now, Nehemiah is serving him, but listen to me. He's serving him as a slave. Here's what I need you to understand. This whole story kicks off with a defeated people now trapped in slavery who are caught in the shame of having everything about them be torn down. Their self-identity is completely broken. Their self-identity is completely devastated. Now, here's what I want us to deal with, and here's, what I want, here's how I want us to process this as we look at it today. Our self-worth, our self-identity, my sense of who I am really is affected largely by things around me by by the family I'm born into, by what I have, by what I have accomplished, by I, I, all of these things play into my identity. But if we're not careful, 
our identity will become completely set by outside forces. You can imagine that if this, this person, Nehemiah, or the people, the people of Israel, the people of Jerusalem, if they, if they allowed only outside forces to affect their identity, then there's no way they're going to find a positive self-worth giving identity to jump out of. And, and I have to be honest, that's the way I think a lot of people in our culture today that's, that's what I think we're struggling with. I think a lot of people have an identity, a self-identity, either an identity I have chosen or an identity that's been, been put on me, but it becomes my self-identity that leaves us in a broken, bound, uh, a slavery, shameful state when we don't have to live that way. Let, let, let's say it this way. I, I believe that everything in life, I believe everything in your life is a cycle. So I have this drawing, and the drawing starts with a cycle. It's just, it's just this cyclical process that happens in our lives. What cycles in our lives is we make decisions and then move on and we make decisions and move on. We make, as that cycle of life continues, it spins around the central definition of who I am. My, my identity, my, 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 what I've accepted as my I am becomes the point around which all of my decisions and all of my experiences and all of, all of all the risks I take, all the risks I don't take, all of that revolves around my self-identity, the identity I have either chosen for myself or allowed to be put on myself. My I am determines, watch, my I am determines what I will become. How I see myself will determine what, I'm, what I allow myself to even try much less what I allow myself to accomplish. So, so that identity is incredibly important. Now, I want, you, I want you to see something. Here's the way this cycle works. My I am, once I have received it, it sets an internal thing inside of me that sometimes we don't realize is there. My I am will set my truth. Now, now my truth is that thing I've accepted about myself. If I accept, if I accept a positive I am about myself, then I have a positive truth that I am going to operate from. If I if I accept a negative, broken, shameful uh, identity for myself, then that it sets a truth from which I am going to operate. The truth is that that once that truth is set, watch this, it has an external effect. So the internal inside of this cycle is that my identity that I've received sets my internal truth. That sets the way I think about the world around me. So it sets my thinking. My truth sets my thinking. I look at the world around me and the way I think about the world is set by my truth, the way I think. And then the way I think cycles around in the external of my life and my thinking then causes or empowers or sends me on a path toward my actions. I will act out of what I think. I will think out of the truth I've accepted, and the truth I've accepted will be based in the identity I've received. You see how this is working? This is working in such a way that, that what the identity I've received is now all of a sudden affecting the way I act and the decisions I make. And, and, and everything I do in life is now defined by, is now directed by, is now somehow pressed forward by this identity I've re received. But listen to me. My actions, when they become repetitive, 
it goes back internal because everything you do externally will eventually have another play internally. So my actions then set habits. Those habits, they come because I repeat actions. The actions are repeated because my thinking hasn't changed. My thinking hasn't changed because I'm set in my truth about my identity. So my identity now has gone all the way around to setting my habits. But those habits, if they're born out of that broken identity, will actually will actually reinforce that identity and will force me to believe at an even deeper level that this is who I am. Let me tell you, let me tell you a story and Let's all we can all start with a oh poor poor pitiful Mike. But I, I, let's just go with me. Let me pick on me for a minute. So in in in, in junior high school especially. I just had a, a completely broken sense of self-worth. I honestly, to this day, having unpacked it all this time, I'm not exactly sure why, why that happened with me, but it did. And I had a, just a broken self-image. I was convinced I am a loser. I, I, I can't do anything important. I can't do anything good. I can't, I, I can't accomplish anything. Everybody else is better than me. That's how I received myself. I can literally remember being dropped off at middle school with, by the bus. No, let me go back. I can remember getting on the bus from my house and nobody there, the multiple seats across the bus. I mean, I was one of the last ones picked up multiple seats across the bus with only one person in it and nobody would let me sit down. And I would be standing in the back of the bus as the bus drove down the road. And I literally remember standing there until the bus driver stopped the bus and turned around and looked at all the kids and said, I'm not moving this bus again until somebody lets that kid sit down. Now, I didn't force myself into a seat. Why? Because I didn't think I deserved it because I had an identity problem. I would get to school, get dropped off, and I would lean up against a wall all by myself for however long it took from when the bus got there till the first class started and just pray no one would speak to me at all because if they did speak to me, they were probably going to pick on me or they were going to try to pick a fight with me or they were going to try to prove how strong they were by beating me up. All of that was true of who I was. Why did I stand up for myself? Why didn't I do something about that? Because my identity told me I deserved it. Watch. Because my identity said, this is who I am. I am weak. I am nobody. I am not worth the time. I literally remember getting glasses about that time and thinking, well, this is a good thing. Now the world won't have to look at all my ugly. Y'all, that all happened in my junior high school brain. Okay. All of that happened in my brain. And because I accepted that as my reality, it set my truth. Once I accepted the truth, once my truth was centered on, I'm worthless, I'm nobody, I'm just in everybody's way. Once that was set, then that set my thinking the way I looked at the world around me. They were all better than me. They really were. It wasn't that they were trying to be better than me. It wasn't that they were trying to be mean to me. I just wasn't worth their time. I tr- you see what, that, what happened in my head? And that thinking then set my actions. I'm not going to defend myself. Why? Because I deserve what I'm getting. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna do anything. This is this is the way it works with people like me. This is just who I am. That set my habit, and I habitually didn't go back until even the wimps in the school were coming at me. None of that changed. None of that changed until something snapped inside of my head, and I fought back one time. I learned on that day: fight back once, and no, nobody will mess with you anymore, because they really don't want to fight you. That's what I learned on that day. I didn't know that before. Now I had a new truth. I had a new reality. That's what I want you to understand. That new reality happened because a new way of thinking hit my head.
Now, here's the problem in culture in general. I don't think the culture around us today believes that we can change internally. Your I am gets set and it's set forever. But here's what I believe we learned from Nehemiah, and I'm going to show it to you over the course of the next few weeks. In Nehemiah, I think what we believe is that the God who created us can miraculously change us. And so what can happen is there can be an intersection of I am that breaks me through the identity that sets my truth, sets my thinking, sets my actions, and sets my habits. If that can be broken through, then I can end up at a reset reality. I believe that even in cases where psychologists, where, where, where our friends, where our family won't let us free from this I am, they try to hold us into that identity, that God can break that identity. Here's why I think you need to be a part of this lesson and stay with it all the way to the end. I believe that God can take all of the broken parts of your self-worth and your self-identity and through the blood of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit, he can break you through to a new reality, a higher reset, a better place. He can change your identity if you let him. You don't have to be broken. You don't have to be what you've been. You can be more because you are a child of God. He will take you to a new place. And that's what I want us to learn. Stay with us the next few weeks because we're going to go through this and we're going to learn how God can change everything. All right, Pastor Mike, so you just taught your very first lesson in Nehemiah, I Am, and it's taking authority over identity. The question I have coming out of that is why, do you, why did you choose Nehemiah? Out of all people to write a book about identity, why him? Well, I think that I think that okay. Look, most people miss the setting. Mm -hmm. they, uh, sure, Nehemiah. Nehemiah goes from the palace of the king uh, to uh, to building the wall around Jerusalem. Okay, that makes sense to people until you really get into the setting. Nehemiah is is a Hebrew, which is a which is a a a, a race of people that are considered a, a bit less than mm -hmm. the people who had the Persians who have him under their control right now, right? Yeah. So they view him as an inferior race. Mm -hmm. He is a slave. He may work for the king, but he's a slave. He has no right to ask for anything. He has no right to expect anything. He is a slave. And he is a slave who is who is from an inferior race a race that has been defeated, a nation that has been defeated by the Persians, well, by the Babylonians, actually, and then mm -hmm. the Persians beat the Babylonians. So the Persians beat the folks that beat the Hebrews. Mm -hmm. So you see where we're at now, yeah. and and we're and we're multiple generations in at mm -hmm. this point. Um, uh, ne Nehemiah is not. It's not like it was his dad or he remembers. Nehemiah never lived in Jerusalem. He only hears stories. He's hearing, he's hearing these stories from his parents and his family. He knows Jerusalem is a real place, but he's never been there. He's always been a slave. If someone who has always been a slave can step up and lead a movement that rebuilds an entire city, there's something about the way he has learned to view himself that is different, that is outside of the identity that had been placed on him. He is not limited by viewing himself as a slave. Something broke that. What is it? And I think in Nehemiah, we find that it is the God of heaven who can break those, those, those 
enslaving identities. Yeah. I, when I was reading through the book, just to prepare for this again, it's one of my favorite stories, first of all, and it was really great to jump back in and read it. Everybody should read it. But he says multiple times, my God. He refers right. to God, not just right. as God, but as my God. Right. And it's not until the end, and I might be a little, giving a spoiler, but you're all going to read it anyway, where he finally says, like, our God. And it's almost right. like a shift to the corporate identity once he's established right. everybody. But I find, how many times do you think he says that? Oh, I don't know. It's, it's, like it's, it's all over the place through that. But he does go to our God at the end. But but at the end, it, it's at the end that the Hebrews all, yea, thus and verily, they sign the covenant and they're all in together, right? Mm-hmm. And it's not until then, quite frankly, in the beginning, the Hebrews said, sure, let's, build, let's rebuild the walls. Yeah. But you don't get the sense they really believed it was going to work. Yeah. You know, but in the in the end, they saw that it did work, and the, and the city was reestablished. Man, there's so many ways we could go from this particular conversation about how one man rising up and calling people to action mm-hmm. could accomplish a lot. You know, with somebody coming from the right identity and knowing that right. they can do a lot of good things. All right, sixty seconds or less. I want you to answer this question. Uh-huh. Why do you think identity is such a big deal to talk about today? Because I think modern culture traps us in a given identity. They will they will label you very quickly. Mm-hmm. You are white, you are black, you are you are gay, you are heterosexual, you are rich, you are poor, you are republican, you are a democrat. And once they put one of those labels on you, they they think they know how you're going to think about everything. They think they can tell you what your answer to questions are going to be. They think they can tell you what your vote on something is going to be. They think they can tell you everything about you because of this one label they put on you. First of all, that's never true. There's never one label that fits everything or that or that encompasses everything. But once they do that to us, if we buy into it, then we are trapped by it. But if we can understand that we are more then we won't be trapped by their label. We can actually begin to slough them off and be who God made us to be regardless of what label other people want to put on us. Hmm. So it seems like you believe that identity is something that can be changed. Like oh, absolutely. Identity is not immutable. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. Now, except now, let me except back when up. you want it to be. Well, yeah. Except okay. when you want it. I don't want my identity to change. So therefore, it can't be changed. Yeah. Let me, let me say something that's going to trigger somebody. Uh, I am white. I can never change the fact that my skin tone is white. But that doesn't mean I, my thinking has to be dominated by whiteness. Uh, so that doesn't mean I have to be all the things that are labeled with that. So there are some parts of us that are immutable that you can't change. I am male. I'm not going to be able to change that. And so, you know, I, you know, some of the things you can't change, but at the same time, you can change the way you react to them. You can change your truth around them. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. I'm not talking about physical traits in this. No. I am not six foot five. I am five foot nine. Therefore, I am not a player in the NBA, nor will I ever be one. Okay, so I'm just not that. Yeah, so nor not, would it be healthy for you to believe that. Right. So I'm not talking about physical traits. I'm talking about those internal views, those internal truths that we either put on ourselves or we or we or we allow someone else to put on us. Hmm. Okay. So in the, in the diagram that you talk about, you talk about the cycle, mm-hmm. right? The cycle and the cycle self-feeds and perpetuates over and over and over again. It starts with thinking, mm-hmm. right? And that thinking informs- well, It starts with truth. Okay, then the truth that informs thinking. Informs thinking and that informs our ha- actions, actions, which then leads to habits. Set our habits, yes. Okay, and then that Let me give you an easier circle, one. Right? If, I, if I take my I am as I am an alcoholic, mm-hmm. then I set my truth, I am an alcoholic, I drink alcohol. 
Therefore, my thinking is I drink alcohol. I got to find my next drink. That is going to be my habit, my action. I'm going to go find my next drink. If I find my next drink enough times in a row, I create a habit, an addiction in this case, Mm -hmm. that then reinforces my label. I am an alcoholic. Yeah. Yeah. I've got to break the, I've got to break the truth Mm -hmm. or I'm not going to break the, the habit. Okay. And in the diagram, in the book, um, you show that there's an arrow that cuts through. Yes. All right. So what, so what or who is the arrow? Well, the, the arrow is the, is, let me, let me put this a couple of places. The arrow is the blood of Jesus that forgives us mm-hmm. and the power of the Holy Spirit that empowers us to live differently. So the, the blood of Jesus makes us different by making us forgiven. Mm-hmm. We are children of God once Jesus forgives us. But then the power of the Holy Spirit gives us the, gives us the added energy, the added, added capacity we need to actually live into what Jesus has made us. Mm-hmm. So he calls us righteous, but the Holy Spirit can make us righteous. Mm-hmm. And so, and so that's, that's the difference in those two. And, and I, I got to say this, I believe, everybody needs to hear me, I believe in counselors, I believe in therapy, I believe in all that. But I'm talking about a spiritual, miraculous change of internal identity, even at times and in places where therapy and counseling can't do that for you. And so, so I believe in those things, and we need to we need to take take advantage of those things. But this is a power of the Holy Spirit and a power of God that can go even beyond that. Okay, I'm sitting here right now, and I'm thinking I need to change my identity because, um, you know, like in the book, you talked about different kinds of inde- identities, right. some that are weak or some that are broken. And let let's say that I realize that I have a broken identity. What do I do? How do I in, invite that interruption? How do I invite the arrow to break through? Let me give you a very, a very practical, uh, a very practical example in my life. I, I, I said in the, in the lesson, I talked about the fact that I was insecure. I felt worthless in mm-hmm. high school. Well, that insecurity didn't go away. I mean, my, I went into ministry and my wife and I would go to pastor's gatherings and I would literally say to her, I would reach my hand out as far as far as I could reach it. And I would say, babe, please don't ever be further than that away from me because I would need her beside me or else I was just going to melt into a corner somewhere. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it was that bad. But when I would preach, I would preach with authority. Okay, well, how do you do that? Well, what God did to change my identity was I knew that the word of God had authority. And I knew that it would be sinful for me to preach the word of God without authority. So though I felt like I had no authority, God's word had authority. And I began to preach his word with authority. The more I did that, the more the Holy Spirit said, look, I'm giving you some of this authority. And the Holy Spirit started to change my identity to the point that I gained a great deal of confidence not because I believed in me or my words, but because I believed in God and his words. Something's got to break that cycle for you. And I'm here to say that spiritually speaking, in fact, I think across the board, the Holy Spirit can break cycles that, that nothing else can break. So mm. that's, that's my take on it. Is I, th- I, think, I think the Holy Spirit somehow, and he'll use processes, he'll use, he'll use time, he'll use experiences, he'll use events. He'll, you see that slight change in thinking in my head? Mm-hmm. I don't have authority, but the Word of God does, therefore I have to preach it with authority, so I now act like I have authority, even though I don't feel like I have authority, but acting like I have authority started to make me feel like I had authority, so I started to act in authority even when I wasn't preaching, and all of a sudden I became authoritative. The cycle. Yes. Yeah. 
yes. thinking the truth, all of it became actions yes. and habits, and then it all began to change and reinforced, reinforced. Okay, yes. let's say, let's say that you do that, and in one area of your life, you improve. You're no longer mm-hmm. insecure, right? Right, right. You're good now, but something else happens, and there's mm-hmm. another piece of your identity that's broken. Right. What do we do? How do we get, what do we, how many, how often can this happen? How often can we invite God to come in and to be the arrow in our life? See, I think this happens over and over and over again in our lives because I think new things will pop up. You'll end up in new eras of life or new phases of life that leave you insecure again Mm -hmm. or leave you broken again or leave you wandering again or leave you confused again. And in those moments, whatever you, look, let me be honest. When you face a traumatic or a transitional point in your life, what you what you tend to do emotionally is you go back to that basic place mm-hmm. where you started, the broken place you started in. You don't go back all the way there. I don't go back to being twelve, uh, but I can go back to insecurity, and I can. Go, I often say it this way: I can go back to leaning up against a wall, a brick wall, hoping nobody talks to me. That can happen to me in an instant, right? But 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 when when something transitions on you like that, you can go back to that moment. What you've got to do is then find that same authority in a place I believe the Holy Spirit will show you and begin to act in it again. And then the cycle will bring you back out of it at a new phase in your life. So when you say how many times can this happen, an infinite number of times in a lifetime, as many times as God needs to fix something in your life, he's going to give you a new way of thinking and break you out of that. It can happen over and over again. When I give this as a reset, it's not one reset. This is one step in a lifelong process of resets mm-hmm. that get us to where God wants us to be and turns us into the people God wants us to be. Mm, that's really good. How long had the walls of Jerusalem been broken down at the point when the story uh, begins? 70 years, I believe, was the answer. Really long time. Yes. How old was Nehemiah, roughly? Uh, that one I don't know right Somewhere now. Somewhere in an adult years. Right? Yeah, oh, he's, he's a, a cupbearer, so yes. he would have had to go through some sort of process. Yes, he would have been, he was been in his, I would put him in his 20s, 30s, somewhere in that range. I and wouldn't then, think he's that old because he's in Jerusalem a long time. Right, so he's so, been there all this time. Right. He's seen the walls all this time. Right. Suddenly he decides... Well, it wasn't suddenly. We're going to get into this in the next lesson, okay. uh, because because it's in the it's in the fall mm-hmm. that uh, it's in one season. I, I've I've got to get my seasons together, but it's in one season of the year that he hears from his friend who comes back from Jerusalem and tells him all this this bad news. But it's in an entirely it's like two seasons later that he actually speaks to the king. So it doesn't suddenly happen. This process takes place in his life that we're not given, we're not actually given a, a vision of. We're, we're not given an insight into the time between I found out and I talked to the king. We're, we don't have insight in that, but one would assume because there's so many seasons in between, one would assume that it took him a long time to process this mm-hmm. and begin to maybe come to grips with, I could be the guy. So sometimes it takes a friend in your mm-hmm. life to show you how bad things are before yep. you're like, maybe I need to make a Oh, change. 100%, yes. And invite that arrow to come through. Oh, that's often true. I, my mm-hmm. friend, my friend uh, Chris Wagnon, you know Chris. Chris mm-hmm. Chris and I have been friends a long, long yeah. time. So he's, we're walking together because we walk together two or three times a week. So he looks at me one day. It was just me and him on the, on the trail. He just stops and he looks at me and says, what's wrong with you? I said, what do you mean? He said, well, you're slow and fat. What's wrong with you? <laughs> and I went, okay, fine. Let's be a little more gentle, could we? You know, but, but he was right. He yeah. was right. I had not been taking care of myself. I wasn't walking mm-hmm. fast enough. I wasn't, I wasn't eating right. And so I had to get, I had to get it back together. Mm-hmm. Wow. So, 
Okay. Yeah, I, you don't necessarily need somebody to tell you you're slow and fat, but right. <laughs> you know, it worked for me. Right. So. Well, I'm excited to hear rest. I, I can't wait to get into uh, the first verses of Nehemiah. Awesome. It's going to be awesome. Let's do it.